You're listening to the Calm Collective Podcast, and I'm your host, Cassandra. This show was created with the sole intention to bring forth human connection, a space for you to be truly heard, felt, and understood. Here, we dive deep into experiences with grief and loss, growth and expansion, and the human experience as a whole through candid conversations. My mission is to leave no stone unturned so that together we can be reminded day in and day out that we're never in any of this alone, that the ability to create a life that we love, a life that we deserve is within us. Welcome to another episode of the Calm Collective Podcast. So grateful that you're here. Today is a really special, magical day because I have a dear friend of mine, Grace Matlich, coming on to the podcast to share her story of living with chronic illness and being her own greatest healer. This episode, you guys, I just don't even have the words, but I have to find some because this is the intro. It is so worth listening to no matter what state of life that you're in, truly, no matter what state of life that you're in, whether you are at the top of the mountain, whether you are at the bottom, whether you are lost in the middle, this was such a genuine, real life, human to human conversation about the difficulties of navigating our lowest of lows, our rock bottom, and in turn, finding our innate wisdom and learning how to live from the live from the gut of our intuition and to really honor her and really how easy and flowy it can be once you start. Because you can't, you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unknow what you now know. And Gracie is such a beautiful reminder of that. Also, something that we touch on that is so powerful and so important is being within your own power and being your biggest advocate. I'm going to have a solo episode all around my experience with anxiety and medication and being my own advocate and what that journey has been like for me because Gracie makes so many amazing um, amazing points and shares so many stories of where she truly had to tap into what was best for her, regardless of the best surgeon in the world or the best doctor in the world telling her otherwise. It's really so empowering and moving, and um, I just can't recommend listening from start to finish enough. So without further ado, I do not want to keep you any longer. Let's get to today's episode with Grace Matlich. grateful that you're here willing to share your story with me because it's one that is just filled with so much surrender and trust and the way that you live your life is so inspiring to me so can you first start out by giving us a little background as to where you're from uh, what your childhood was like and a bit on where you are now and what's lighting you up in this present moment sure well first of all thank you for having me um I would say, uh, so I was raised in New York and had a really wonderful, easy, beautiful upbringing um, with my main source of friction or challenge being um, ongoing 
health issues here and there, Mm -hmm. mysteries as I was growing up. Um, And then as I got older, I moved out west and I'm currently in Boulder, Colorado with my husband and we love being here. And what's lighting me up at the moment is graduating from graduate school, Mm -hmm. finishing my degree um, in gerontology and longevity science from USC and turning 30 this week and just entering into a totally new phase. That's so exciting. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Yeah, you were saying you're in your Saturn return right now, right? Yeah. I I wasn't even like aware of mine when it was happening, but now when I look back, I'm like, woof. That was real. I almost wish I had that awareness to be nicer to myself and be like, this is okay. This is like supposed to be happening. Yeah, and the, the sense that like, okay, this is happening to get me totally on the right track. Exactly. Exactly. I am not taken off track. I'm being put on track. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So I would love to chat a bit more in depth about your illness. So I've never really identified you as my friend Grace who's sick or anything like that. And I'm curious as you tell us a bit about your illness and your experience with your illness. I'd love to also know if you've had to do the work to break free from that being your identity. Absolutely. Um, I think as I was seeking a diagnosis or an answer um, again and again over the years, I I wanted that part of my identity and I, and I almost felt like I needed that part of my identity. Like I am... Mm. I am chronically ill. I am a sick person. Um, you know, it's, it's my excuse for this, or it's my reason for that. Um, it, it's so, because it's, it's a daily experience and it's intertwined with my experience of, of self, physical Mm -hmm. self and who I am. Um, it can be hard to uncouple that and detach from it. I do think it's necessary for Mm -hmm. healing to do that. But I wouldn't blame anyone for a second for identifying with um, a diagnosis of any kind. I just think people can get stuck there and it's not, it's not an end point. Yeah. And especially for you, it was like this really long, drawn out journey of trying to find answers. So can you share that journey with us and ultimately how you got to where you are today with the answers that you have now? Yeah. So growing up, I was always, I had chronic infections and was catching whatever was going around, but getting it worse. And, um, never, we never really knew why I was so, you know, quote unquote susceptible to everything. Um, but by the time I hit my mid twenties, I had spent so many years trying to keep up with everybody Mm -hmm. else who, who, who wasn't susceptible or wasn't mm-hmm. sick half the time or wasn't, you know, trying to keep up with school from home while they were ill. Um, and I've leaned on, you know, energy drinks or, mm. you know, anything outside of myself to try to keep me going. Um, and I really um, stole from tomorrow to pay for today and it caught up to me. And by the time I was in my mid twenties, I really experienced a full-on health crisis, I guess you could call it, where 
my body really pretty rapidly shut down and my GI tract just stopped working. Um, Adam was having to take me to the hospital uh, pretty consistently for these acute painful emergency episodes that we couldn't figure out. Um, And it was really scary to not know what was going on. So we eventually decided it was time to, you know, pull out the big guns and fly to one of the best hospitals in the country to do a full, complete workup um, and turn over every stone we could in search of answers. And so part of that process involved doing a biopsy of my colon to try to really understand what was going on um, on a tissue level. And unfortunately, there was um, an error with that. And after the procedure, I was brought up to a recovery room. And honestly, from that, from that morning, I felt like something was off on that day. You know, at the time, I wasn't really living from a place where I was connected to my intuition or I felt um, confident enough mm-hmm. to speak up for myself and say, something's off here. Or this doesn't feel right today. I just, I wasn't connected to my voice in that way. So I just let it ride. And, you know, I didn't even get to meet the surgeon that morning. Mm. You know, there are things like, you just know something's off. Yeah. And um, after the procedure, I just felt like something's not right in my body. I just could feel it. And uh, over the course of the next 12 to 24 hours, I was bleeding internally and but consistently told, you're okay, you're okay, don't worry, nothing's wrong, Um, until my vitals dropped and we were um, transferring me to a different hospital for emergency surgery. Um, And I woke up in the ICU after an eight-hour surgery with an ostomy bag Um, and my fiancé next to me, you know, having thought that I might not make it through. Mm Mm-hmm. That is so insane. So then what follows after that? Are you angry? <laughs> are you in shock? Are you all of the above? Are you just grateful to be alive? Like what is going through your mind, your soul? Well, one thing I'll touch on that I think is an interesting piece is that so when the previous two years when we were living in Montana, I was working as a crisis counselor. And I was working these 12 hour shifts um, on the phone and in person with people, answering the National Suicide Hotline, and constantly engaging with other people who were going through trauma and crisis. And, you know, having not really had much of my own trauma mm-hmm. or crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was constantly guiding people through theirs. And then I had this bomb dropped on my life. And, it was pretty wild to then be my own crisis counselor in a lot Mm. of ways. Um, And I did feel pretty equipped to handle it. I felt like I had the tools. It didn't mean it wasn't incredibly painful and eye-opening and enlightening Mm -hmm. and difficult in many ways. Um, But I felt like I I had the tools Mm -hmm. to navigate it and I felt pretty adept at that. So I'm grateful for 
almost the training I had prior to that. Absolutely. And what a beautiful thing to, I mean, obviously it's horrific what you went through, but to be able to wake up and have that strong mind-body connection of like, I knew what my body was telling me. I knew that something was wrong. I knew that I was bleeding. To have that self-trust and self-awareness had to have been such a game changer moving forward. Oh, certainly. And it stayed with me ever since. I mean, when I had uh, surgery a year later to uh, permanently remove my colon and, and make my ostomy bag permanent, I told my husband and my parents, like, if things don't feel right on the day of, you know, mm-hmm. we're not doing this thing. And they were like, we respect that whatever yeah. you want to do. Um, and I would never blame anyone for, for making such a call because I think we are tapped in and we know things and we're picking up on signs and signals in our unconscious mind all the time. And like something as simple as they had moved floors that morning on the hospital and the nurse, as they were prepping me, she was like, I don't know where anything is. We just, mm. just this morning we moved floors. Like we're oh on a gosh. totally different floor. I don't know where anything is. And these ca- it just, there was this chaotic air mm-hmm. where it felt like nobody was settled there were just so many different signs I was picking up on that felt like, wow, this is not quite right. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So it really comes down to just taking this claim and responsibility over your own life, right? Being your own advocate and with so much medical attention being brought onto your life, how do, how do you continue to maintain that sense of self-assurance and awareness when you have so many doctors poking and probing and experimenting and suggesting things for you, both prior to your diagnosis, but especially now that you are so awake and so in tune with your body and your intuition, unlike before. I think um, being discerning is key and staying educated on Mm -hmm. your own body and your own diagnosis, whatever it may be. Um, you've got to go in with questions. You've got to question your doctor. You've got to challenge them and push them. Um, not, not just for your own sense of self and power, but also to, to show to the doctor that you are a strong individual and they need to bring their A game and be conscious with you because Mm -hmm. too many times I've encountered, doctors who treat me like just another person on an assembly line like mm-hmm. oh I've seen this before here's what we do here's the course of treatment and they go on autopilot and it's dangerous mm-hmm. and, and even as a young woman I assure I I assume you're probably treated a little bit differently as well oh absolutely um and especially with the history of mental health diagnoses I mean if you see that you're like oh gosh you know mm-hmm. if she's worried about something like forget about it she's a hypochondriac so, yeah 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 so and I I think that's unfortunate and hopefully changing but I mm-hmm. I have also taken it upon myself to challenge that um way of being for doctors to challenge them out of that mode Mm. um, by showing them that I am in control of my body Mm -hmm. and my care, that I'm the gatekeeper Mm -hmm. for my care in a lot of ways. And um, what I say goes, you know, I had a doctor just a few months ago who um, gave me my immune deficiency diagnosis, which felt validating at the time and exciting. And I got a little wrapped up in that. And 
he he's you know world-class doctor and he said this is this is what we do here's you know the course of treatment and I hated it my body (laughs) hated it and then he said well here we now we give you all these um we're gonna give you all these meds to count all these steroids Mm. to counteract your inflammation and try to get rid of all these side effects and I said no I'm not gonna do it with the steroids actually Mm -hmm. um I just know that steroids aren't right for my body. And I had to put my foot down with him again and again to show that, like, I know what's better for me. And to this day, we have had to agree to disagree on Mm. my treatment plan because Mm. I have stopped treatment with him. Um, But I feel better than I have in a very long time. So I have to trust that, right? At the end of the day. Absolutely. And I would love to be a doctor in a room or just like a fly on the wall to see a doctor's face when they think that just kind of like what they're going to say goes because they are on autopilot and you do this thing where you like speak up for yourself and have really educated questions like the faces that I'm sure that you've seen (laughs) in response to like, wait, she said what? Yeah. You know, I'm just like, oh, she knows her shit. Yeah, I think some of them like engaging on that level, and I think others are like, uh-huh. oh, Just please stop. Yeah, you're like, no, yeah. this is my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I think an important message for anybody who mm-hmm. is dealing with a health crisis or navigating the system, whether it's long-term or short-term, your, your doctor, your healthcare provider is your teammate and your collaborator, mm-hmm. but they are not above you. Mm-hmm. in the hierarchy you know um they are meant to do this thing with you and you play a very important role as the patient because no doctor can ever know you as well as you know you mm-hmm. um they're not spending 24 7 with you they don't know what you put in your mouth three times a day and how you're treating your body and how you're feeling throughout the day um, you know, you can give them a brief account, but you are the expert in you and you have the most data and the most awareness of your body. And so at the end of the day, if something's not feeling right and a doctor says, let's double the dose and that seems wrong to you, listen to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is such a powerful message and so, so, so important to to share. And, you know, I kind of wanted to backtrack a second because you touched on this lightly, but with everything that you've been through, the surgeries, the aches, the near-death experience, we talked about this before, but I really want to touch on trauma because that is sure to follow. And like you said, your trauma is different than what Adam's trauma or your parents' trauma or your siblings' trauma might have been. Can you, are you willing to kind of crack open to share what that experience and that journey has been like for you living through and with trauma and how you focus on healing that prominent energy? Yes. Um, there really is nothing like that. I, that feeling of, um, not being safe in your body. Mm -hmm. I, I know that feeling well, and my heart goes out to anyone who has had any sort of experience that has stayed with them in, in the intellect of their body and makes them feel unsafe just on a baseline physiological level because the experience I had, the emergency surgery, I was in my whole stomach was cut open. 
it was a lot to heal from physically, but the, the scars, the discomfort as I was healing physically, it was a constant emotional reminder of my vulnerability, um, and how hurt I felt, Mm -hmm. uh, and how, how wronged I felt in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Um, and I think one thing I've learned is for me, the best way to heal my trauma was to face it head on over and over again, but it comes, it's almost like a spiral. It comes back around, Mm -hmm. right? Like there are layers to healing and over the past, I guess it's almost been four years now, um, things come back around for me. I started working with uh, my long-term therapist while I was still in the hospital immediately after um, the accident because I just felt like I already needed to start telling the story and processing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we we did twice a week sessions for a period of time. Um, I'm very, very pro-therapy, but I've also over the years worked with I've seen a shaman, I've seen an acupuncturist, I've worked with energy healers, I've done my own work on myself. Um, I have, you know, engaged with many modalities to, I guess, access different dimensions of the trauma Mm -hmm. is the best way I can put it. Um, Because a, a physical trauma, there are so many dimensions to it the way it can get to you. Um, and it deserves to be treated from, I think many, many angles, um, and many times over, right? Like I'm Mm -hmm. not going to do one, go see a shaman one time and necessarily poof, I'm totally healed from my trauma. I may have a deep, profound healing experience that reframes things for me, but integration still has to happen, right? The daily integration of that greater healing experience needs to occur. Um, the daily messages of safety in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, there's been a lot of sort of restructuring my days Mm -hmm. around healing, um, to make that sort of my primary mode. Um, Yeah. Well, and I even imagine just like something as simple as like eating and drinking and socializing, like, has it been a thing where you've had to even sort of like mourn and grieve just like the normalcy of like eating a normal meal? I mean, I don't mean to assume, but I imagine that like that's not really in the cards for you anymore. Yeah. So I would say I had something, you know, you could say this was divine timing or just a super weird coincidence, but I mentioned previously that Adam and I were supposed to move the week that this all happened to me. Mm -hmm. So we did move and I never got to say goodbye to our home in Montana. And I went straight from recovering in the hospital to our new home in Oregon, a town that I'd never been to a house that I'd never seen before. I was catapulted in a new body. (laughs) I launched into just a completely new life with no like sensory anchors almost. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was extremely 
disorienting, but I actually think it was an incredible blessing um, because I had two years while Adam was in grad school in Oregon to just go inward, cocoon, heal. I was incredibly privileged to be able to have that time and space to do that. Um, But I really, it was an inward two years for me. I made no friends while we lived in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing that it was temporary, it was just, Adam was working seven days a week. It was just like me time, Mm -hmm. completely. And there was nowhere to hide. Just me all day with, with the trauma, with the pain, with adjusting to this new body, you know, there was not no distraction Mm -hmm. and it was such a, a crash course in, in how to face your own pain. Really? Like the universe Um, being like, now is the time we start healing now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there were days that, that I hated it and Mm -hmm. that I wished I had more distractions and things going on. And, but I recognized, I think on a fundamental level that this had to happen. Mm -hmm. Like you have to put in the work and if not now it's, this is going to come back around and I Mm -hmm. will have to heal this eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is something beautiful too, about healing the physical while healing the emotional. Oh yeah. uh, Because I had, you know, I really did not have a lot of mobility in my core for a long, long time after the surgery. Um, I, so as I sort of got more mobility, it almost mirrored my emotional healing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but to speak to what you were saying about mourning sort of a previous life in a way, I do, I do feel like I went through a mourning at times of feeling like my body's different now. I can't wear the clothes I wore before. I can't do the things I used to do with the same level of ease. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, eat solid food with reckless abandon the Mm -hmm. way I used to. Um, You know, just like, I miss eating a salad. I'm not going to lie. I miss you. Yeah. You're like, I have to drink a green juice instead. Yeah, I miss a salad. Um, But it's amazing, Cassandra, how the mind and body can adapt. Mm -hmm. It is incredible. You know, I still have people ask me like, oh, don't you miss just like pizza or whatever it is? And it's like, honestly, (laughs) no. At this point in time, I've found enough deep satisfaction in my life that, um, I wouldn't say like I carry that grief with me on a daily basis because it just would be too heavy. Sure. Um, and also it's like at the, at the, it's like, do you miss pizza? And you're like, well, not enough to go back to the way it was, you know, yeah. it's oh, like, yeah. what? I'm in a hospital with a tube yeah. down my throat. You know? Yeah. I'm good here. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. actually feels nice. Yeah. So adapting Mm -hmm. was like the tonic for me Yeah, uh, in so many ways. It was like, I could, I could just sit in this mess and cry about how I am annoyed that I have this bag attached to my body for the rest of my life that I have to deal with. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can't eat a raw carrot or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, or I could find 
new beautiful ways to experience myself mm-hmm. and my life that are infused with just as much joy. They're just different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, the adaptability takes time. And yeah, that's something and experimentation. Exactly. Exactly. And like different healing modalities like you were touching on. It's I love that you kind of treated this as like, okay, this is a time to play to see what works, you know, and take what works and leave the rest. Um, I think that that's very kismet that the universe kind of lined that up for you of like, hi, we're going to Oregon. You're not going to know anyone. You're going to stay inside. Here's a mirror. Get to know yourself. Get to know your new self. Yeah. Yeah. I know. To me, in retrospect, it doesn't feel like an accident at all that it happened that way. And it feels like the greatest gift to have the time and space. I swear things like that happen for a reason, like kind of a side note, but I've only had one of those experiences where, you know, when my dad passed away, he passed away right when my photography season stopped. And I always had like three to four months of just quiet. Like I would take those four months off and he passed away like right in that chunk of time where I was like what I would do for distraction of work right now, but I didn't have it, right? There were no jobs that were booking and it really just was such a beautiful gnarly time that really yeah forced me to get comfortable with my grief and not distract from it and mourn it five years later you know it's like I feel like you and I were both able to like okay I have to sit with this I have to look at this in the face now and that's hard but it's also such a blessing in a weird way it is because there's no bypassing exactly Exactly. And now you've truly created such a little healing haven for yourself, moving to Boulder and just consistently spending time in nature, just to name a couple of things. So can you talk about what that experience has looked like for you building this healing haven and the boundaries that come with that? Because from what I do, I, I know I, I know I don't know you like super well, but what I do know about you is that you have some strong boundaries and I respect you so much because of them. So I would <laughs> love to dive into this. Oh, thank you. Um, I think I've just become really aware of, of the sacredness of my energy and mm-hmm. um, it's my own maybe limita- energetic limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two incredible brothers who just to me, when I look at them, it seems like they have endless energy. They're both manifesting generators and Uh, they just are, they just go. And I am a lot more inward um, with my energy and it comes in spurts. And so I've almost used grad school a little bit like a, a playground to get to know my energy better over Mm. the last few years and Mm -hmm. how, like, how do I work best and, um, honoring the flow of my energy rather than putting myself on such a strict schedule Mm -hmm. because I can crank out an unreal amount of work in a short period of time when I get struck by that lightning bolt. Like it just, it happens for me. Um, and then there are days where it's not happening and I just have to, accept and go with that yeah um projector energy so inconsistent (laughs) so that's something I've really learned to just accept and honor about myself like there's no wrong way to um 
you know, get ahead in life or be successful. It doesn't have to look the same way for everybody. And so for me, there's, there is a lot of recharging and inward time and, you know, working from the couch under a blanket when I need to write papers that way, if mm-hmm. that's what I need to feel productive and cozy. Um, but my, I would say like, I know the, the term self-care is just so overused <laughs> at this point, but my, my caring for self routine is, uh, really foundational. You know, mm-hmm. I think it, it took me 25 years to, uh, get deeply ill and have my health completely fall apart. And it would be crazy to think that it would just take, you know, one or two years to be vibrant, full of life and perfectly regenerated. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's, it's going to take a, a lifetime of building a healing environment, um, to maintain health and vitality. Absolutely. So, what would you say within your world are your non-negotiable boundaries? What are some things that you've set up for yourself where you're like, I cannot do this. I will not do this. I can only do this for a certain amount of time. What do some of those look like? Um, for me, I'm pretty choosy with sort of how, how social I am during the week, depending on how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still have weeks where, I don't really know why, but you know, my system's not functioning great and I've got to listen to that and really go inward. And so I've gotten okay with, with canceling things. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel so blessed to have made some really incredible friends since moving here who just really get me and get my situation and, and honor me so that if I have to cancel on something, it's, they know it's not personal. And it's not, I don't have to waste energy on an excuse or like, they just get it. And Mm -hmm. so I've learned to not waste energy on excuses, to say no when I need to say no, um, to Adam and I are really like, we don't like to answer the phone after Mm -hmm. five or 6 PM. Um, anyone who knows us well knows that we'll do whatever we can to avoid a Mm -hmm. phone call Mm -hmm. after after 5 p.m. because that's that's our us time that's our wind down time um we go to we get in bed at like 8 or 8 30 every mm, night that's amazing um, that's another boundary we've set we love our sleep yeah um, and adam's a projector too right yes yeah yeah, yeah. we love our sleep yeah um, it's so it. important yeah and uh i would say too any I don't know anything that, that isn't serving me like from a, um, relational aspect or Mm -hmm. other pieces of my life, or if I know something is just pulling so much energy for me unnecessarily, I've learned how to listen to that and when to cut it off. Of course, there are certain things that you have to show up for in life and, um, need to be present for interactions that you can't avoid people you can't avoid, um, but those are the magic situations I've mm-hmm. learned because that is when you get to look at yourself and say, am I really letting this person drain me? Mm. Because that's on me then. Mm-hmm. You're letting so, them access your energy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's like a, maybe a boundary piece at play, but 
over the last year or two, I feel like I've healed a few relationship dynamics in my life profoundly just by working on myself mm-hmm. and actually looking at like, what is wrong with me that that person bothers me so much? Mm. Like, what is up with, like, why can't I hold space for their pain or their struggle, struggle that clearly has nothing to do with me? And why can't I create a separation between me and them? Um, questioning all of that. Um, and then the dynamic, it just takes one person to change a dynamic. It's really, it's, it's so really true. incredible. Yeah. And then like you're saying, it's basically taking radical responsibility for yourself and like your pieces. Yeah. Yeah. What a shift. So what happens when you have people in your life who perhaps leave you like feeling hurt or disappointed or feeling triggered? Um, maybe because they're not showing up in the ways that you would hope that they would. So like expectations, how do you navigate that, especially when you're maybe in your darker days or you're not getting the support when you cancel um, to listen to your body and to your, your intuition? What does that look like? That looks like a really big conversation with myself mm-hmm. because you know, if there's one thing I've learned from, I learned from two years of really just being on my own healing was I got me at the end of the day. Like that's, mm-hmm. I'm my own rock mm-hmm. and my own foundation. And if everything else in my life crumbles, like I've just got me mm-hmm. to carry me through. And that is such a, a beautiful thing. I feel like the relationship I've forged with myself is really strong. And at the end of the day, I'm, I'm co-creating things in my life all over the place when I engage with others. So if I'm disappointed in somebody or feeling hurt, I have to ask myself, how, how did I set myself up Mm. in this situation? Mm -hmm. Um, what was I expecting from them? Um, that, that clearly they're not in a position to give right now, or I have to consider, Maybe what's going, what's going on in their life this week that is drawing their energy away, um, or making them go inward. Um, because it is about me in terms of I'm creating right. This, uh, dis-ease in my own body Mm -hmm. because I'm uncomfortable and I, I've allowed myself to feel let down because I held an expectation, Um, but it's also not about me in the sense that everyone else is living their own lives and doing their own things and, um, their lives don't revolve around me. Mm -hmm. Every interaction isn't a reflection of how they feel about me. It's usually a reflection of what's going on for them. Exactly. I mean, that is just like such a powerful statement. Again, it goes back to, you know, taking responsibility and really what it is and what's coming full circle is that, you've clearly really developed this really powerful sense of control and power over your own life. And that can feel when I think when you just say it, it can feel isolating or maybe a little cold. But what you're actually doing is just giving people the freedom to be themselves because they, you don't need them to be anything that they're not being because you know who you are. And you're willing and able to look at yourself and your pieces um, and not have anyone take responsibility for your own happiness and comfort, which is incredibly wise and difficult. 
it's a really beautiful thing in marriage too. I've I learned. Um, yeah. I caught myself just last week feeling tired and run down and I was feeling disappointed for a moment and my partner like can't he just handle everything for me like what like I just mm-hmm. I just want to curl up in a little ball and have my partner do everything for me and that's not our dynamic by the way at all mm-hmm. and I was feeling disappointed for a moment and then I realized that part of me that feels disappointed is actually not me. It's not the functional me. It's not the energized me. It's the broken little vulnerable girl playing the victim who's just saying, I want someone else Mm -hmm. to drive the car and handle it because I'm over here depleted. I'm tired. And I think that's not my journey in this life. I think it's a disabling place that I can go to emotionally at times um, when I am depleted. But it occurred to me that there's nothing wrong with my partner. He's perfect in every way. And I married the perfect man for me. Mm -hmm. And we have a dynamic that is so, we're so independent and we support each other's independence so much. And we've never fallen prey to like a caregiver invalid type of dynamic throughout Mm -hmm. everything we've been through we've really maintained strong independence and I guess that's another kind of boundary we've maintained um and that is why he's my partner in this life you know Mm -hmm. for that healing reason to catapult me into greater independence but any, I realized any disappointment I was feeling in that moment was like from my own dysfunction. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Not his. He's right. perfect. He's right. doing him. He's being him. Uh-huh. So for me to want anything else was my own dysfunction talking. Right. Yeah. Expectations that weren't realistic. Yeah. And expectations that upon reflection, I don't even truly have. It was more of like, right. You're like, I don't want him to do everything for yeah, me. Yeah, I don't actually want that. It was just this whiny, this part moment. Of, tired part of me talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had talked about co-creating. I want to touch on that a little bit more. What are some reflections and examples of some things that have come through and that you've co-created since living with this self-awareness? Um, I would say all of my relationship dynamics I'm Mm co-creating with family, uh, with my partner, how I show up is in some ways how I can expect them to meet me. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I want things to change or be different, all I have to do is show up different and let the past kind of drop away, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think so many of us, um, especially with family members can approach those dynamics. We, we carry all these, this baggage with us. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm just going to carry 30 years of baggage on my back in this relationship and treat this person, you know, like we're still 12 years old or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is I'm, I'm different now. That person is different now. We're going through different things in our lives and it's pretty radical what can happen when you let the past the film of the past kind of drop away because you can meet the present with a sense of clarity 
and non-reactivity that um, really can co-create a productive dynamic mm-hmm. that's into more love and connection. Um, but at the end of the day, too, I would say, we're talking about more physical things and co-creation. Um, I think I've create I've co-created a lot of healing in my life um, through taking responsibility and understanding that I'm not not a victim mm-hmm. in terms of what happened in my life. Um, sure, I had you know certain genetics that I was given. Um, I had certain lifestyle choices that I made. There were certain other things that were beyond my control, but there were a lot of decision points, you know, three meals a day, lifestyle, sleep choices, college choices. Mm-hmm. That were, I mean, I was co-creating a disease in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a fact. And that's not to say that, oh, I deserved what happened to me because I think that's a really... I don't know, self-flagellating way to look at it, but I just, there's something really freeing about taking responsibility for, I played a role in that. And just as I played a role in that, I'm equally capable of playing a role in creating a healing, vibrant, successful life for myself. Yeah. That's so beautifully put. Yeah. So then that all pretty much comes full circle when it comes to self-love as well, right? So you're co-creating all of this healing for yourself, enter in self-love with this new body, with this new lifestyle. So let's talk about it. Has that been something that's been hard for you to lean into? Has it been hard to love on yourself when you've also been at war with yourself and with your body? How have you learned to lean into this practice? That's a great question. So I would say that I've, I've really been on kind of a lifelong journey with self-love or lack thereof um far before the past five years I struggled with body image um growing up because I had so many digestive issues Mm. I was always distended and bloated and I just felt terrible my body felt terrible when you feel physically terrible you look in the mirror and it's it's hard to to connect with love because your cells aren't lighting up, you know, you're Mm -hmm. feeling dim. Um, and I thought I wrestled with that, I think for so much of my life and didn't really understand why. And I got caught in the trap that I think so many people get caught in, which is thinking that, uh, self-love is a a destination, right. Mm. That you arrive at. And one day you're there and you just, love it all. You have the perfect body, you think, and you just love every little bit of yourself. And from that point onward, you are imbued with self-love and that's it. Mm -hmm. And it's so not that. And something I've come to discover over the last few years is it's, it's a daily practice. It's showing up for yourself, even when you don't feel the best Mm -hmm. and making a decision to care for yourself that you know is going to be nurturing rather than Mm -hmm. self-destructive. It is, it's, it's a verb. It's loving on yourself. I love that. It is an ongoing conversation, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, 
but it was certainly jarring, I would say, to have a bag attached to my body all of a sudden and feel like my body is changing in so many ways and I don't I almost didn't recognize myself for a while. Um, and I, I would say more than anything that was just jarring, but the trauma I experienced became almost a vehicle for self-love because it made me so extremely grateful for the life that I do have and for being here and re-upping my soul contract. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love the way you just said that. Yeah. I felt like I had, you know, this is the only way to be. Mm-hmm. I, this is all I've got. This body, this allows me to be here. So I need to love it. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about this with my therapist actually once, you know, the, the question of, you know, people say when you know better, you do better, mm-hmm. but that's not really the case for so many people. Like you see doctors walking around who aren't the picture of health. Mm-hmm. They do know better, but they don't do better. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people, there's a barrier, right. That keeps them from putting knowledge into practice. And I actually think that barrier for many people is a lack of self-worth or self-love, right. Uh, feeling like they're not worthy of that on some, maybe even subconscious level of that attention or care. And I think it's just so foundational to healing, to moving forward in our lives, to have that ongoing conversation with yourself, to cultivate that self-love and that self-worth because so much comes from that place. Good and bad. Right. What are some of the attainable tools that you retreat to when you need to love on yourself? What are some things that feel really nourishing to you? Really simply for me, putting my hands on my own body is Mm. really comforting. So doing self-massage, lymphatic Mm -hmm. massage on myself. Um, I've done like Abhyanga oil, warm oil massage on Mm -hmm. myself toe before which is so nourishing um but I think putting our own hands on ourselves is really underrated totally there's something special about it and if Um, you think about it we don't do it often like with intention you know it's like we get ready in the morning or we get ready for bed or you know like right now I'm like touching my arm but like not with the intention of like you called it loving on yourself and showing yourself that like care there's a different energy that comes from your body when you match it with that intention yes yes so that I think is just a foundational piece for me I notice um it forces me to be present Mm -hmm. with my physical self to do that Mm -hmm. um you know nourishing foods that is always a way of loving myself um connecting with my food Um, going for walks has been something that has really changed my life over Mm -hmm. the past few years in Oregon. All I did was go on walks in nature for two years and just think and heal and look at the birds. And it changed my life to just move at that pace. Um, nowhere to rush, you know, just Mm -hmm. going for a walk, being with myself. I listen to a lot of podcasts as well, but Mm -hmm. There's something about just going at a slower pace and even walking the same route 
I, my husband thinks I'm a little crazy because I go for the same walks all the time. And he's like, aren't you so bored? (laughs) I think there's something new to see every day. Exactly. Exactly. I'm different every day. I'm different every hour of the day. And so by having the same backdrop, I'm actually able to connect with those changes in the seasons, with the environment, with my own self. Um, so that sameness is actually, um, comforting for me. Um, but those, yeah, those are just a few little things that I like to do for myself and moving my body movement has been a really important way for me to process my emotions. Especially um, when like you weren't able to move for so Mm -hmm. long. Yeah. It's it's so much can get stuck in our physical bodies. And I think for some more than others, but for me, especially whether it's putting on a song and just dancing Mm -hmm. to one song, or lately I've been doing a lot of Kundalini meditation, Mm -hmm. which has been helping me move energy, but I have, you know, almost a daily practice of, I love the Tracy Anderson method and do that almost daily. And it just, it moves whatever is stuck in me through me. And allows me, you know, I cried on the mat before just mm-hmm. getting it out. And it feels feels good to just connect with your body in that way, you know, and shake Absolutely. it out. Kundalini makes me cry every time. That's when I learned. I had a teacher tell me once she was like, oh, yeah, no, you care. You carry a lot of stagnant energy and trauma and pain in the body. This is so important for you to know. So the fact that you're crying every class is totally normal. I'm like, is it? Because it doesn't feel normal. <laughs> Like, am I broken? She's like, no, you're stagnant. You're stuck. You're releasing. Exactly. So that purge is like actually like a welcoming thing now. And when I don't do it, I'm like, oh, okay. Like that's neither good nor bad, but like how lovely that I didn't have anything to purge today. (laughs) Like that's nice. Yeah. No, funny side note is I saw you in Boulder when we met up at Wonder Mm -hmm. the week, like the week of my first Kundalini. Yeah, that's right. And I remember telling you, like, okay, I signed up for this two-hour full moon kundalini (laughs) workshop. Like, what should I expect? And you guys were like, oh, like, get ready to to get really weird. You're going to feel it all, and you're going to do some weird shit. (laughs) (laughs) You loved it, it, though, right? It has stayed with me. Yeah. It's been something that really um, I've relied on, I guess, throughout the last year or so in the pandemic. Oh, yeah. It's so incredible. Move energy. One thing that came up that I wanted to touch on before we before we move on is when it comes to healers, because you and I are, you know, very in line. We've had many conversations about like body work and stuff like that. Um, something that I value so much as well. I wonder if you've ever fallen into the I guess I'll say trap of looking for someone else to fix it or to tap into your soul before you do does that make sense like seeing a shaman and being like yeah have you had that that's and that's the same part of me that was like longing for my partner to just handle everything for Mm -hmm. me right it's that totally piece of me that's just like can someone else do it can Mm -hmm. there be a pill can this reiki healer just take away all my pain Mm -hmm. um yes I think it, it is a trap. I think Mm -hmm. that is the correct word for it. I mean, whether you're doing it with allopathic medicine, you find a doctor who you think is 
the holy grail, the be all end all of, you know, the specialist of your dreams, Mm -hmm. um, or whether it's your local acupuncturist or this new supplement you just got, we can all fall into that trap of thinking, this is my magic bullet. This is going to make everything better. When at the end of the day, you're always going to be a part of the process. Like Mm -hmm. the power is still always within you. Um, and there may be someone else or something else that's helping you as a vehicle that you're attaching intention to. Um, but you're still playing. You're the main player. Always. Yeah. You're the container. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think it's a really, you make a great point and it's, um, it is a, a tricky trap to fall into because at the same time, I can't say enough for how wonderful it is to sink into the arms of somebody else and have, you know, beautiful body work done mm-hmm. when you're, when you have chronic pain, right. And just mm-hmm. allowing yourself to be cared for by another person for an hour. Like it, it is deeply healing to surrender in that way and trust another person with your body. I think that was a key for me in healing from my trauma. I actually had to go through the process of putting my body in someone else's hands over and over mm-hmm. again to say, I'm safe with other people and mm-hmm. I can trust my body with other people. So I think that was a crucial step for me, but you, it's important not to cross the line of thinking I'm o- my pain is only ever gone because of this person, or I'm only okay because of these weekly treatments mm-hmm. or I can't get into this Reiki session. I'm not going to make it through the week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Without my weekly acupuncture, I'm a wreck. You yeah. Know, you're that. Talk about co-creating. Yeah. I mean, you're feeding you're yourself. Determining your week right there yeah. by saying that. Mm-hmm. Um. So and when some of these things get stripped away, like I had a lot of things get stripped away in this pandemic. Um. Yeah. And practitioners, I stopped seeing, and I really turned inward to do some self-healing and think about what I could do for myself at home rather than going out. And I learned a lot about what I can do for myself. And there's still magic in going to see a practitioner from Mm -hmm. time to time, Mm -hmm. getting loved on by someone else. But it is a dangerous trap financially and emotionally to think that, you know, there's one person out there who just can hold all your pain, take it all away, heal you, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Is in charge. Yeah. 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 I want to talk about something that you practice, something that I actually just heard of a few weeks ago for the first time, which is the practice of meditating on death. I am so intrigued by this. I haven't yet practiced it myself, but I would love for you to share your experience with this and how it's opened you up. What is this practice done for you and your own life and healing? Yes. So memento mori. Um, I took Latin in middle school and high school. And Mm. so I feel connected with the ancient Romans and I studied philosophy in college and love the Stoics. And this is a very um, Stoic practice to meditate on death, to constantly remind yourself of your mortality and on the other side of the coin, right? The gift of Mm -hmm. life and the Mm -hmm. gift of this moment. Um, to me, remembering death is, is a doorway to a more vibrant life. And it's 
something I think about, I think all the time about how close I came to my own death, right? And to that being the end for me um, and how in many ways that was a beginning. And another, I think, important aspect of considering death in daily life is how am I spending my time? How am I spending this day? How am I interacting with others? And do I feel rooted and grounded and okay and um, satisfied with my use of these resources and my interactions with these people? Um, Do I feel like I could exit this earth at any time and be satisfied with what I left Mm. behind? Does that ever feel like heavy or daunting though too to take on that much responsibility through that meditation I don't know if I'm wording that properly but just I guess my sister and I have said this before we're like oh my gosh healing or like living mindfully and awake is so exhausting and you know we've joked that even like I sometimes wish I just had a break when like I didn't know what I know now or I couldn't sink into like those deep meditative levels of my soul because it's just you're constantly like expanding and expanding can be exhausting. And so I guess I I just wonder, yeah, like in these meditations, if you're ever like, I just want to be grace and I don't want to have to think if I'm treating everybody with like the utmost respect and at the end of the day, like, did I do enough or, you know. I just, I, I wonder if you ever have that. It's not separate. It's mm. part of me and part of my experience. So I don't mm-hmm. see it as a responsibility or anything that's outside of me or separate from me. Mm. Um, it just is. And it, it may, it may feel less daunting to me because I feel like ever since my accident, I've been really uh, connected to the other side. I don't know how else to say sure. it. I feel yeah. plugged, plugged into a dimension of, of life that I didn't feel um, plugged into before. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels all one and the same and like it's all present and happening at once. So um, death doesn't feel like the end. Right. Um, and, and it just, it feels like a way of, of life in mm-hmm. a way. Um, it doesn't feel like a, a responsibility I'm shouldering um, or any sort of forced way I need to be. And I don't take on anxiety about if I have a negative interaction with someone, oh my gosh, I have to fix this immediately right away. You mm-hmm. know, I would prefer to work it out with them. Um, but there's something, it just, it's a settling practice for me, I would say. Mm. Yeah. But just, one, you said something that I actually want to go deeper on. Yeah, of um, course. Which is, you mentioned that it's it's exhausting to live with your eyes wide open, right? Mm-hmm, essentially, um, yeah. But I wonder what would happen if you tried reprogramming that to be like that statement and that idea to be like it's invigorating, mm. it's life giving, because something I tweaked in my own life in the past year or two was this idea that everything I do throughout the day is draining. I just thought Mm. I operated in a way that many people who have chronic health challenges operate, which is okay. 
I get up, I have a finite amount of energy and every little thing I do throughout the day robs me up from that energy. And by the end of the day, I'm spent Mm -hmm. and each task is taking from my, my daily energy bank until I'm maxed out. And which is a way, you know, it's one way of looking at things, but then tasks inevitably do become draining and just sitting down for meditation. For some reason, I was thinking this is draining. This is just one more thing taking my energy. When in fact, there were many practices in my life that were life giving and invigorating and filling that bank back up. And so I continually challenge myself to think about things in my life. If I'm seeing something as draining, am I able to flip the script on that and actually see it as life-giving? Just like some people think of a workout as draining. Can I see it as energizing? Mm. Yeah, that's so powerful and so well put. I love that, especially when you know what it feels like on the other side. You know, when you do do the meditation or you do do the workout, generally the feeling is not, that was exhausting, you know, or I'm so disappointed that I did that. It's generally more of like a positive Mm -hmm. or soothing approach. So that's a really, I will take that advice. I love that advice. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go, I'd love to ask you some uh, quick side note questions, if that's okay with you. Of course. Okay. Let's start with everyone's favorite what is your morning routine if you have one yeah I would say my morning routine changes with the seasons but uh currently I get up around 6 6 30 I make a cup of ginger tea I do some red light therapy and self-massage and then I do some movement or exercise um and I also love a cold plunge. Ooh. Do you do that just like in the shower or do you have water nearby that you do it at? Um, Adam and I actually created a cold plunge out of a deep freezer in our backyard. That, that is amazing. <laughs> that is awesome. And not surprising that you guys did it's that. very invigorating. That's great. What is red light therapy? Um, so I use a, a juve red light panel for photobiomodulation and it really just feeds your cells and your mitochondria with um, red and near infrared light uh, first thing in the morning. It can help balance your circadian rhythm as well. Oh my gosh. I've never heard of that. That's cool. You know, I'm going to be texting you later. Like, um, tell me more. (laughs) Okay. What about your evening routine? Um, Bed at eight. Yeah. (laughs) Routine is less of a routine. I like to go for a walk after Mm -hmm. I eat and Adam and I wind down pretty early. Personally, I lay on an acupressure mat every night right before mm-hmm. I fall asleep. I finally got um, mine. It's amazing. Yeah, every night before bed, it really is soothing to me. And sometimes I do some visualization as I'm mm. falling asleep. Um, I love that. Or some like chanting in my head, but mm-hmm. about it. What is a sound that you love? Silence. Ooh. <laughs> I love that. I do. I love, I love sweet silence. Um, but otherwise, I would say my husband's laugh. Yeah. One of my favorite sounds. Of course. I wish I loved silence. I have horrible tinnitus. And so oh. silence for me is like a forever loud ringing. And I'm like, what is that? What does silence sound like? That would be so nice. <sighs> uh, if your soul was a color, what color would it be? 
turquoise Ooh. in the center radiating out to like lighter turquoise and then ultimately like a bright fading to a bright white oh my gosh I love that answer <laughs> You're like, let me get super specific yeah okay so I already know this but what is your actually I don't know all the logistics but what's your full human design profile do you know what your lines are I am a projector with splenic authority and my profile is a six two okay love it do you have a mantra or a life motto that you keep close for comfort and grounding? Uh, I would say two. I would say that life is happening for me, not to me, mm-hmm. and that all we have is now. Mm, beautiful. What is something that you wish more people knew about you? Anything they want to know. Mm. I don't know. I don't like pushing information on other people, so... Anything anyone wants to know about me, I'm an open book, but... Again, just too true, like, projector energy right there. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to push anything on anyone. Um, is there a book that's greatly impacted your life? Yes. I have to say this is, like, a, this is a three-part answer, but I'll go quick. Okay, um, you're good. In my teens, uh, Tom Robbins, Still Life of Woodpecker, the novel, it changed the way that I see the world creatively I would say Mm. um and then I read As a Man Thinketh by James Allen uh probably in my 20s and that really woke me up to the power of my own mind and my own thoughts Mm -hmm. in driving my life um and then most recently uh When Things Fall Apart by Pima Chodron oh my gosh that book is so incredible I want to check out the other two but Pima Chodron is otherworldly it was such a perfect book to read during the pandemic Mm -hmm. yeah she's amazing I read that right after my dad passed away and I was like this is medicine yeah um is there a current playlist that you're loving uh you're gonna laugh I'm mostly just listening to kundalini chants at the moment um it's so soothing that is most (laughs) I'm not laughing at you I'm with you Um, But yeah, very like spiritual chanting Mm -hmm. music at the moment. is just kind of always in the background. Lovely. What does living with intention mean to you? It means being fully present in the moment. And um, I guess deciding what that intention is, right? Mm -hmm. In every moment, attaching um, specific intention to actions. Absolutely. Throughout the day. And it does sound, I think when we say it, just like we make it sound so easy, it does take practice, but it just sort of becomes like a part of who you are, you know, a way that you live your life. Intention is like, what is that? You still have to create the intention or define the intention. It's just not, oh, I'm constantly, you could say I'm living with awareness. Sure. But living with intention you're constantly having to define what that intention is. Right. Totally. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and being here and just chatting with me about your life and your journey. You are such an inspiration to me and I always love our, our spiritual chats and it feels good to have someone kind of in my corner that doesn't ever judge (laughs) what I'm, what I'm into and what I'm going through. So I'm so happy to know you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This was a really special opportunity.